ending my life, I can simplify it down to this statement. There are two things that I want more than anything else in the world. And that is to love and be loved and to do meaningful work. And with that as my sort of anchor or guide, guidepost, I can be like, okay, what what things satisfy that? And I can just sort of make little experiments and be like, am I meeting these two criteria? Am I making a positive difference in the world and people's lives in, you know, the larger biosphere? <laughs> or am, um, and or uh, am I getting and giving love everywhere possible? Am I creating that sense of family and, and relationship? <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Hollywood Hustle Podcast, where we bring the stories and struggles of artists climbing the ladder of success and how they survive the city of dreams, Los Angeles. Hello, everyone. I am Daniel, your host, and welcome back. We are so excited to bring you today's interview with Inside Acting's very own Trevor Algott. This interview is the kind of interview this show was made for. I just want to get that out there. It is so good. And uh, please just listen closely to everything. It is so important. And it is the vision I had for this show. Not that the, any of the other interviews weren't that, but this one more so than anything is what this show is about. Uh, just a few things before we get started, some podcast ups to updates. We have some really great things happening right now. We are in talks with a possible new member of the, te- uh, of the team of Team Hustle, which is just fantastic. Michael and I love working on this show, but it can be a lot for two people. You know, previously, a friend of the show, Katra Parkman, joined the team and really helped bring our social media to a new level and set us up for some, you know, amazing success. And we are super appreciative of that and of what she brought to the show. Of course, Katra had to step away due to life, but now we are in talks with someone else who will bring a whole new energy to the team and I think really keep us moving on up in our goals for this show. We'll obviously share more when everything is locked down, but we just wanted to kind of get you guys excited about this. We're so excited to grow Team Hustle. One thing I can announce is that a good friend of ours, actor and tech guru Gordon Meacham, has joined Team Hustle as an associate producer. Gordon is going to be helping researching content for our social media and also helping Michael with editing notes to make Michael's job just a little smoother and a lot easier. Uh, We're really excited to have Gordon as a part of our team. He's a great guy and an even better friend. Uh, you can find Gordon on Instagram at Lord George Gordon Byron, B-Y-R-O-N. Uh, you can also, he follows us. You can go to our uh, Hollywood Hustle podcast and find who follows us. You can find him there. Uh, you can also find him on Twitter at Gord underscore own, O-W-N. And just go on there, say hi, welcome him to the team. Uh, let him know you're excited. We're excited to have him on. So thank you, Gordon. I know you're listening. Thank you so much for uh, what you're going to do for us in the future. We're super excited. Now, also, Michael and I have started the work of putting our Patreon site together, and we're also starting to coordinate creating a video for our site as well. We are really excited by the thought of really making this show and its fan base a community of guests and listeners. We want you guys to feel like a true part of this show, the people on it and the people who listen. Communication and connection with one another human is so important, and we want to help you expand your reach. So keep looking out for more news about the Patreon in the future. We're super excited. Uh, before we get to the episode, though, I just want to p- call out for a few things. We still want to see and share your pictures from your hustle. Meetings, on-set pictures, behind-the-scene pictures, pictures of you writing, whatever. 
We want to share them. So email anything you want shared to us at hollywoodhustlepodcast at gmail.com. Also, we want to start a new series called the Craigslist Hustle. We've all seen the ridiculous ads on Craigslist looking for someone to write a screenplay for them or act for them or direct. And it's always like a ton of things expected for meal and credit. We want to see ridiculous posts like that. So please, if you see anything, please share them to us uh, at hollywoodhustlepodcast at gmail.com. And we will definitely give you credit. And we want to make a meme of them and share them with the world. We just think this is a great idea. We've done a few before and they've gotten great responses. Also, don't forget, if you like this show or even just this interview, head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Maybe even a comment would be nice. We want to hear what you think about the show and what we are doing. This also helps us be seen by more people, which in the end helps everyone. Now, just a little bit of insight about this interview series. It's going to be a little different as it is the beginning of a complete series with the team from the highly successful podcast, Inside Acting. We recorded two separate and longer than usual interviews with both the co-hosts of the show, Trevor Algott and AJ Meyer, that we are going to split into two parts for both of them. So Trevor and AJ's Act 2s will be a continuation of the interview with me. We decided to do this for two reasons. First, they have so much experience, advice, and inspiration to offer that we did not want to restrict it to just one hour or one episode. Secondly, we wanted to record a special Team Hustle episode with all four of us, Michael, AJ, Trevor, and myself, Daniel, that will solely be based around the topic of podcasts and podcasting. This will serve as both, their, as both of their roundtable discussions. We feel all the advice and stories they have to offer about this medium is so important and expansive and stuff that we've learned also while doing this that we want a lot of time to share it. Now that's out of the way. It's time to get to the interview. This week, I talked to actor, musician, activist, teacher, and podcaster, Trevor Algott. Trevor hails from a small town in Pennsylvania, moving to LA 15 years ago to pursue his dream of acting. Trevor has truly transformed into a true inspiration of hustle. He has inspired creatives all over the world with his highly successful podcast, Inside Acting, which he co-hosts with AJ Meyer, where they're demystifying the inner and outer game of success in the entertainment industry. We discuss Trevor's time in school and how he started in this acting game. We discuss his family and what he was like as a kid and the struggles he went through. We discuss getting into swimming and how that taught him to visualize and achieve his goals. And of course, we talk about his move to Los Angeles. This interview is an amazing exploration of someone who is in a transitional period here in LA, trying to find what comes next in his creative and life journey. I am so excited for you to hear act one of my conversation with our good friend and fellow podcaster, Trevor Alga. We are thrilled to welcome to our podcast a fellow podcaster, actor, musician, composer, writer, and voiceover artist, Trevor Algott. Originally from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Trevor's story is a perfect example of how an artist can thrive when they expand their art and pursue their interests when arriving in Los Angeles. You may have seen his work on such TV shows as Bones, The Young and the Restless, and A Thousand Ways to Die, and also in films such as The Midnight Man, Donor, which he also wrote, and The Midnight Monster. And of course, you may have also heard him as the co-host of the long-running podcast Inside Acting with co-host AJ Meyer. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to our studio, Trevor Algot. Okay, please hit him down, everybody. I'm here. <laughs> this is uh, this is recorded in front of a live studio audience in an apartment. <laughs> we put up bleachers. God, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you yeah. guys doing? Oh, doing great, man. Just uh, 
working hard yeah. <laughs> and hardly working at the same time. You're hustling on the Hollywood hustle. Thing. <laughs> yeah, that's what actually that's yeah. our motto. We're hustling on the Hollywood hustle thing. And that's trademarked. Put it on a t-shirt. Um, what do you, you know, what's been going on? I, you did your 300th episode uh, yeah, a yeah. few months ago where yeah. you guys followed a, a, a regular a series regular through their kind of week on a show, which was such a smart idea. And I mentioned that to AJ, like that was such a cool way to celebrate 300 because it was so different from your other, obviously your other episodes and really gave a really cool insight to being like, is it fun being a series regular on a show. Yeah. I, w- I wish I could take credit for that. I think that was mostly Jen's idea. <laughs> and and Jen Levin is our production coordinator. She's such a workhorse and yeah. such a, 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 so tuned into detail. And, and uh, she really was the mastermind behind that whole I mean, thing. I'm sure the work to put that together was and, probably and insane. She did, she did most of it. So that's awesome. I got to give credit where credit's due. No, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Jen, congratulations. It was fantastic. Yeah, well, well job. So let's kind of go back in time. Uh, let's kind of just start from where you come from. Now you were from Bryn Mawr. I was technically born in Bryn Mawr. Okay. Yeah. No, I grew up in a, in a small suburb uh, of Philadelphia called Wayne, Pennsylvania, okay. um, on the main line. And if you've ever seen the movie Titanic, mm-hmm. then you know what main line people can be like. Uh, <laughs> I, I love my hometown. I would never talk trash on it, but it's a very wealthy It's fine. Area. Nobody there's listening. So. Yeah, right. That's true. <laughs> Nobody cares. No, it's it's a really wealthy area, but there's some, I have so many good memories and, and uh, I'm looking, I always look forward to going back. So right. yeah. Do you have, yeah. uh, you know, what was your family like? Do you have any brothers or sisters? Do you, you know, what what did your parents do? Yeah. Uh, God, I grew up, my dad was in real estate, uh, still is in real estate, commercial real estate. Oh, nice. And um, yeah, I had a younger brother and an older brother growing up. My dad eventually um, got divorced, remarried. I had a wonderful stepmother um, uh, who just was just the light of all our lives. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, I had, a, I had a, um, in many ways, a very idyllic childhood. In many right. ways, you know, I have the typical broken family stories, but you know, <laughs> uh, it was, it was great, man. Right. Yeah. I, were any of your family other than you kind of in the entertainment business uh, before they, maybe they went into a kind of the everyday mm-hmm. job? Not really. My dad, you know, was a musician when he was growing up and he did some commercial modeling, I think when he was younger, but oh, wow. he, he eventually got an engineering degree and went into real estate <laughs> and went into engineering modeling. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> Look no, at the sexy building. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, I, but he was so, so with that background, he was super supportive when from a young age, mm-hmm. I was like, I want to be on stage. I want to <laughs> sing. He was like, you're now hearing Trevor's real voice. That's right. That's <laughs> not right. as, not as uh, this is, this is my mask this is my beard here. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I, I, yeah, I've always sort of had that sort of inclination, that, that thing inside of me that right. I can't quite put into words. It right. just was like, you need to do this. And, and a lot of people don't really seem to get it, but I, hopefully our audience can relate to that. And, that is that is the you know there's so many jobs I think if you told people you're going to do this the reaction is always positive like oh that's that's really cool that's great you know I'm going to be a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher oh great 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 you tell people I want to be an actor oh yeah what's your backup uh, do yeah. you have a backup like you're a, yeah oh you're going to teach are you, you know, sure on the side, it's right? the are you sure are you sure mm. <laughs> and yeah. and same thing like I'm moving to Los Angeles yeah well, well good luck don't, good luck. don't you know there's a lot porn. of traffic and it's really expensive yes i'm aware yeah i'm yeah, aware yeah, right. when did you start discovering acting what's what's your kind of first memory of like discovering like theater and film and, and really feeling that bug i think it's going to you guys are going to laugh but uh it was the movie ghostbusters <laughs> i don't know what it was man but there's this story that my dad tells every once in a while mm-hmm. we went to go see ghostbusters i was like three years old is it an 84 i think it maybe 84 85 long ass time ago um 
and uh, and I we went to go see it, and we went to this diner in town afterwards. Mm-hmm. And apparently, I have no memory of this, but apparently, I was so taken with the gargoyles in the film that I was like, I'm going to be a gargoyle for the next week. <laughs> and you know, the gargoyles they just sit there like a statue, right? Right. So that was what I did. I went under the table and I sat like a statue, like you know, arms perched up, like I was a gargoyle. And they were like, Trevor, okay, come out now. Like, it's time to eat. And I <laughs> wouldn't, weird. I was so committed. I wouldn't move. And they, they like, the staff would like, every, people came over and like looked under the table. They were like, oh my God, he's so, he's so method. <laughs> he's so, me- yeah. he's so well, the Daniel Day Lewis of 1984. Yeah. 1984. Yeah. So that's, that, apparently that happened. But that, I remember that movie being really fond of it and, uh, and loving just Dan Aykroyd was like my idol for a while for whatever reason. Right. And, uh, and that was sort of the thing was like, I want to do that. And now you're working on a reboot of the Gargoyles animated series, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> so you can live your lifelong dream of being a Gargoyle. <laughs> um, what, you know, what are, what are some other, was your dad a big film guy? Did he introduce you to a lot of film or what was kind of your gateway to film and television and theater? Was it just your own self exploration? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I never really, you know, I just liked the big blockbusters and stuff and I right. just wanted to tell cool I just wanted to do cool shit on screen with robots <laughs> and aliens and spaceships and guns and, and things like that. I was drawn to sci-fi a lot. And right. then as I got older, I was more into like the relationship dramas. And then I explored some absurdist comedy stuff in high school and whatnot. And, but I, I didn't actually get on stage in a play until like second grade. Okay. I was a T-Rex in oh, a nice. school play. Did you have a name? Were you like Teddy the T-Rex? No, I, I should have, man. Maybe I did. <laughs> I just remember being a really diva-ish actor because we had these heads and we folded this poster board in half, mm-hmm. like this big, you know, huge, I don't know, two foot by three foot poster board. We'd fold it in half and staple it on each end and then stick our head in sort of towards one end. Right. And then just draw like eyes on each side and like a mouth on each side. So it's this really crude thing. Mm. I thought it was the coolest thing in the world, but my mind kept falling off and sliding down and I kept stopping rehearsal and being like, yo, this thing doesn't work. Yo, I get can't me in the work fits. like this. I, can't, I was like, <laughs> I can't work in these conditions, I, Joe. I remember Mrs. Deacon, man. She was such a, she was so patient with me. Like right. I would just stop. We'd be in the middle of rehearsal. I would just stop. Say, I can't see this thing. And I would pull it off and she would just go, okay. Um, and then, improvise and so you obviously you kind of talked about wanting to be on screen and having that kind of dream of shooting guns and fighting monsters and stuff like that so your imagination was kind of already running did you do stuff at home other than like obviously you played a gargoyle did you do other stuff at home that kind of built your imagination up did you have a camera did you film things with friends uh god i wish i wish i had oh, in high school we had a camera and i made some stupid movies uh, yeah. with a few friends in high school and who did i mean we've yeah, all been there, right? yeah we had a, a sweet editing bay in my <laughs> high school i mean sweet by those standards right. and it was like 96 so <laughs> oh man was, yeah <laughs> a little rotary it was a lot of like manual like Cutting. moving the lever yeah. to put this, the graphic <laughs> up on screen the right titles. uh but it was it was pretty cool and uh i remember i made a, a ghostbuster uh you know ghost a proton pack, pack. Yeah, yeah, proton pack. Thank you. Out of like boxes and shoestrings and flashlights. Oh, that's awesome. And soda cans wrapped in tin foil. And I was so proud of that thing. And uh, <laughs> I was a Ghostbuster for like till I was like fourteen. Dude, I'll tell you this: my my grandfather <laughs> built me the Ghostbuster like headquarters, like out of what? wood. Like built my own like version of it. it had like a sliding pole and like everything. Life sized? No, not life size. Oh, no, no. Okay, but it was like okay. I mean, big. It was probably as tall as I would be when I was like five or six. Like it was really tall and then i had ghostbuster pajamas like onesies that look like the uniform i had the little sliding pack that you could open up and like capture the ghost and i had all that when i was a kid i was a huge ghostbusters and mark man i get it 
Wow. I'm like, my heart is beating faster. <laughs> but that that but, is such a joy but, to hear, man. But it's so funny, though, like, as you know, as you grow up, when you watch movies that you love as a kid and start realizing how more adult they were, like, even like Ghostbusters, there's a, there's some kind of adult things in there that's so subtle yeah. that you don't get as a kid. And even like the original script, there was even like more. Uh, of that it was a weird script before it became what it was you've read the the original uh, unproduced version i I haven't but i've read like articles about it and it's like the ivan reitman saved that film because dan Aykroyd's original script is bonkers really it's like a four-hour epic and it's like set in like a dystopian future with all it's insane i want to read that yeah it's it's insane and like i'm like you know we need to make this more like relatable and ivan reitman's like why don't we make it about a startup business and like four guys trying to start a business and that's kind of where his mindset went and that's kind of how it became what it is is four guys just trying to start a business it's a weird business but just trying to start a startup i love that and so it's like it's so interesting taking a big concept and trying to like simplify it i, I love so people who can think you know, that way you know yeah. and, and see that kind of thing uh so you played a yeah. t-rex when you're in second grade uh <laughs> yeah. obviously i'm sure you won several awards uh for your portrayal for being a pain in the ass, <laughs> yeah. uh biggest pain in the ass award at the yeah. end of the year um what you know what was some other stuff that kind of pushed you what other stuff did you do as you went through school was theater a big part of your school life as you went through yeah, I guess so. Um, I just remember really wanting to do it and being really interested in it. And then I, I think I got on stage for the first time when, in eighth grade. We did a musical production, obviously a musical production of a musical, uh, Little Abner. Mm. And I played uh, Stupefying Jones, um, which I thought was just the best role in the play. And <laughs> I don't I don't know that I did, I did, did it justice, but uh, it was fun. Is that and, is that a role yeah. you wish you could go back and do better knowing what you know now? <laughs> As an actor, <laughs> really uh, bring some gravitas to it. No, all I re- all I really remember is dating Sammy Stock and how that broke my heart. Oh, yeah, that was sort of like tied up at that moment because we had rehearsals and we try and like sneak off and find a place to make out. Michael, make a note, please put the song "Everybody Hurts" underneath this part. Yeah, right. Everybody hurts, <laughs> and then we'll film a slow motion moment of the tear falling. What was it about theater growing up and film that kind of kept you in it? What is it, even now, what is it that re- you love about it inside? Like, what does it do for you? I'm, tr- I'm trying to ask the right question here. <laughs> sure. No, that's that's such an awesome question. Such a deep question yeah. that, that changes. Yeah. Uh, you have two you know. seconds to answer. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm always curious to hear what other people have to say about this. Because mm-hmm. for me, it was very much at the beginning, it was like, I want people to look at me. I want people to pay attention to me. I want to be the life of the party. I want to be the center of everything. And I want to make people laugh and cry and right. me, 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 me. I want to create these moments and tell these stories. And I want, you know, it was all about me. Right. And uh, that was fun. And I think my early sort of uh, approach to acting really reflected that because I was very sort of like, I would like choreograph my performances, like right down to like how I would turn my foot, how many steps I would take, how I would hold my hand. I would learn everybody's lines and mouth them in my head. And like, I was so into like the choreography of it and it was great, but it was too polished. There was no room for spontaneity. 
And then is but but hey man, everybody everything's all about me, you know, right. and I was perfect and all this stuff. Uh that's debatable. But uh and then uh, and then as I've gotten older, it's become much looser and it's much more about like I just want to have a moment on stage with another human being that people can feel something from from being a part of. Right. And uh, that's been gratifying. And now at this chapter in my life, I sort of joked to you guys over email. I was like, God, I hope this isn't the most uninspiring episode ever <laughs> because I'm I'm in a weird chapter where like, I don't know what the next step is for me. And I, I'm sort of, I am stepping away from acting. Mm-hmm. I mean, hey, if a part falls in my lap today, awesome. I'm all about it. But I just, I've had a hard, long time accepting that I'm not the same person I was 15 years ago when right. I moved to LA. And I'm only sort of clinging to this acting thing because it's like what I declared 15 years ago. And so I'm like, Trevor, you're a different guy now. You want different things. Different things are important. You have all this, you know, a completely different perspective. So is it still acting or is it something else? And right. and I don't know what that is, right. but I, I, I know that I am chasing that authenticity, that authentic experience of being a human being and just, I've been sort of, I do morning pages. I'm getting super deep here now. No, go ahead. I do morning pages every morning, which is three pages of just uh, longhand writing by hand, just brain dumping. Wow, that's really cool. And uh, it's a great way I find to just cut through the bullshit in my head and kind of get to know myself and see where I'm really coming from. And um, what's come up a lot these past months um, since I went home for the holiday, you know, long story, but it was a tough holiday, Mm -hmm. tough year last year. Mm -hmm. And um, I just had a whole different relationship to family and what's important and what's just coming up over and over is like, look, I think my life, I can simplify it down to this statement. There are two things that I want more than anything else in the world. And that is to love and be loved and to do meaningful work. Mm -hmm. And with that as my sort of anchor or guide guidepost, I can be like, okay, what, what things satisfy that? And I can just sort of make little experiments and be like, am I meeting these two criteria? Am I making a positive difference in the world and people's lives in, you know, the larger biosphere mm-hmm. or am, um, and, or, uh, am I getting and giving love everywhere possible? Am I creating that sense of family and, and relationship? Well, you, you did mention that kind of the transition in your email, uh, when we were kind of scheduling this and, you know, Michael, had a really good response where he kind of talked about, you know, that's kind of what this show is about. It's about the struggle and, and the, and the struggle is not just to live or survive, but the struggle is also to find your purpose and find your meaning and where you belong. And, you know, you know, I started as an actor as well and it took a while for me to realize like, maybe that's not my path. And that was kind of a hard acceptance to take. Like, like you said, if somebody came to me and said, Hey, I, I need someone to be this part in this thing I'm doing. Do you mind taking some time and doing it? Absolutely. Sure. <laughs> Every actor's you know, dream. Yeah. Right? yeah like, thank you. Yeah, yeah, no uh, problem. Thank you, Let me thank see you if I can Martin Scorsese. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, there was a point where I, left where I had to realize like that may not be in the cards for me. And so, yeah. you know, then I look and go, well, what else am I good at that could still be in that entertainment creative field? Because I know in the end, that's just where I want to be in something creative and meaningful where I'm presenting something and I'm presenting good work that touches people. Yeah. And you know, where is that face? How long did that transition take you from the moment you first had that sort of inkling that maybe this wasn't it to full on being like, no, I'm going to transition. It took, it took a while. It really took until I really, I think moved here and really found like, you know, cause I, one of the, one of the things that we're all good as actors, especially and creatives is self doubt. We're all great at that. I think if there's anything, we're we're the most talented thing at is self doubt. (laughs) And, you start really like, you know, you're never like, I am good at you. 
you're not, I'm great at this. You're like, I'm okay. And so, you know, you, people can congratulate you and thank you. And there are people that are, are in their head like, yeah, I'm the best, but you're like, no, no, I'm, it's, I'm still working on it. Don't please, 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 please. I'm still working on it. And that's kind of how I was for a long time with writing was just like, I think I'm okay at it. And I'm going to try to see if I can be better at it. And that's kind of where I think my realization came was when I started writing kind of like you kind of without having your three, you know, three pages, you know, morning and mm. long handwriting. Yeah. And it took me a few years where it was a slow, like, Oh no, I'm still going to act. I'm still going to act. I'm still going to keep acting. That's still going to be a focus. And then slowly realized like, maybe that's not in the cards. And mm. it really wasn't to like about to move here where I was like, I need to pick something. And I need like, to pick how many, how many years was that? Would you say? Oh man, I would say that's a good four or five years of like slow, mm. like doing some acting work in the meantime, but, and enjoying it, but not feeling like as sure about it as I was before yeah. and still having fun doing it, but more in this, like, Oh, I'm free. I'll, I'll act not in the, I'm really pursuing it right. hard. I'm online every day on Craigslist and LA casting and all that stuff. And even here, I tried to rejuvenate it a little bit here and it was still kind of like, just was not there. It wasn't yeah. my, I, I did. I'd rather have been writing than being online looking for acting roles. And I'm curious, I'm curious, could you, could you tie that uh, transition or that sort of commitment to a certain age or a time or event in your life? It was, you know, I think it was when I was about to get out of college was really oh, wow, that early. Like just like, well, I, I, my college kind of took a while. So I was about, I was already probably like 23, 24 when I was able to finally kind of get through the end of college. And so it was a long span of time. Um, and it was just kind of like, I'm about to leave this kind of safe space where I can do whatever I want. And I really need to figure out what I want to focus on. And it's kind of that, do you want to be great at one thing mm. or like mediocre at several things? And even now I, I mentioned it on a previous podcast where, or, or something where we were talking about like regrets. And I was like, one of the things I kind of regret is not focusing on one thing a long time ago. And becoming mm -hmm. great at it. And I think that was part of the transition was my own self-doubt of like, I'm not great at anything. I'm good at several things. Right. And I think it was a mix of that plus not feeling that like desire to continually work on acting anymore constantly, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I, I completely understand that point. I think it's important for people to hear that. You know, we have some uh, some listeners who kind of left a little bit of their creative side for a while and went more on the analytical and work side and, and thanks to like our podcast and some other podcasts, they're starting to revisit their creative parts of themselves again. Yeah. And they're starting to write poetry and all the stuff that they That's didn't amazing. do before. And, you know, I know uh, from hearing people who have talked about y'all's podcast, it's the same thing, how inspiring you guys have been to people to kind of keep pushing and keep going and really go for their dreams. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, everybody's in that transition point at some point. I think we're constantly in transition in transition points. We're yeah. always changing. We're always growing. And when you find that piece of yourself that makes sense, you'll know it. And so I think the most inspiring thing that you're bringing to us is your honesty about your about being in a transition. <laughs> and that's that's inspiring in itself because you're being honest. Like, you're not like, oh, things are good. Things are great. You know, you're like, I'm, I don't know where I'm at right now. You know, it's, it's funny because I, I don't, I don't know how to be any other way anymore. <laughs> like I'm just, <laughs> I just like, I just in a weird, not weird. It's normal. It's natural, mm -hmm. I guess. But uh, I'm just in a place where it's like, 
I, I, I literally don't know how to fake it anymore. I don't know how to do it. I, all I can do is sort of bring my authentic self. And I, 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 I just want to kind of comment on um, what you said about being world-class in something like having the one right. thing like, re, and like, I just admire that you were able to sort of key in on that at such a young age. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm 30, I'll be 37 this year. And I'm just starting to understand that like, that's how you really get ahead. Like it's so tempting to especially in our day and age where like our we're trained by our technology to have our attention in so many different places and just sort of snack on things mm-hmm. constantly and never sit down for like a good nutritious sort of meal mm-hmm. at, with our attention and our time and our energy and our heart and so we end up spreading ourselves so thin and the people who truly excel in this world and have fulfillment and satisfaction and do things that are meaningful they are world class in one thing that they choose and they have hobbies but they've got their top priority there's that word priority it's funny i was reading about it 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 didn't come into use until like i don't know like sometime in the middle ages nobody quote me on this but it was something like that Mm -hmm. and it was for the longest time it was there was no such thing as multiple priorities there was Mm -hmm. no plural of that word it was only until like the 1970s or 80s that it started to become a plural thing it's you know i i thank you for your honesty about being in a transition because like i said i think that's the most inspiring thing is that openness and that's what this show is about i told mike when we first started this i wanted people to come on and just be honest about where they're at and if we make somebody cry, that's even better. <laughs> but, you know, if I want to hear those stories. If you're having trouble, it's about the struggle. It's it's about letting people know you're not alone. And I'm sure there is 15 other thousand people in this town that's at the same place sitting on their couch going, well, where am I supposed to do? Mm. Where am I supposed to go? So mm. I definitely applaud you for for being in that space and really taking the time to try to figure it out because some people just kind of ignore it. And so... I think that's really, that's a cool thing for you to do. Well, I ignored it for a long, long time. So yeah. um, now I'm not. And, I, and I, I have complete faith, and I'm sure Michael does, that you will find where you're, you belong and what you're meant to do to, to add. Because you seem like a guy that wants to impact some people, somebody and someone in mm-hmm. some form or fashion. And so I think you'll find that space, whatever that is, um, eventually. I hope so. And, <laughs> And Godspeed. So let's talk. Let's talk about wacky cartoons. No, I'm yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so dumb. Um, so, so you all, you know, kind of talking about you know impacting someone and inspiring someone. You know, one of the most inspirational things to me is music. And mm. I like we were listening to music when we were setting this up. I literally have music on most likely constantly all the time. I try to put music on when I'm in the shower everywhere. Um, you know, you also score and you, you compose. And I know you put a lot of stuff up for people to use freely online as well. So you can kind of get your stuff out there, which is great. It's, it's your stuff is fantastic that you've been putting out. Thanks. And, you know, what is it about where did your love for music? Was it because your dad kind of played musical instruments? Did he instill that? Or when did you find that love for music and composing? Um, hmm. I don't. Yeah, that was also just kind of a thing that just sort of became. Mm hmm. Uh, part of my identity I don't know it just was in me I, I guess and I, I just I remember the very first cassette tape that I got uh, as a birthday present with a, a little tiny boom box was uh, Phil Collins no jacket required <laughs> and I just listened to that first of all Phil Collins brilliant yeah. way more influence on modern day music than anybody gives him credit for oh, absolutely uh, but I listened to that tape just back and forth left and right up and down like for years and I think that sort of helped sort of install some musical 
sensibility in me. And, mm-hmm. and then, um, uh, my brother had a, my older brother had a keyboard and a guitar and I would just sort of go into his room and harass him. And he finally like gave me those to keep me out of his room. And, uh, and I just sort of, you know, played with different recording programs and taught myself from there. And mm-hmm. I don't have any training. I never took lessons. I probably should. Cause I still think I'm pretty <laughs> mediocre at a lot of things, but, uh, it's all about the practice, right? So, right. Actually, the more you do it, the better you're going to become and you're going to find stuff. Yeah, that's the idea, right? Yeah. <laughs> you hope at least yeah. <laughs> you get better. That's my, that's my strategy, so I hope it works. Just search YouTube how to make music, and yeah. I'm sure you'll find a ton of videos that will be really helpful. University of YouTube. What a freaking <laughs> hey, miracle man, time we live you know, in. The, the amount of stuff I have found that have like made me better at things on YouTube is astounding. Amen, dude. You know what I mean? Um, it is definitely the university. I, I definitely agree with yeah, that. Yeah. Um, do, has music influenced your acting? Like, is there, are you in your like writing? Do you listen to music while you write? Is that, does that help you? Does that inspire you? Uh, hmm, great question. I, I, I'm the kind of person that needs silence when I write. I, I just, I can't, I can't listen to music and not be intellectually engaged with it. Like a lot of people can put it on as background stuff. And if I'm cooking or, or, you know, having dinner with somebody or whatever, driving of course but if i'm rocking that death metal right yeah yeah. (laughs) pantera all that this fettuccine alfredo is amazing (laughs) 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 let me put it this way um music to me is something that really frees me um like when i go see you know like radiohead or uh nine inch nails or somebody in concert i'm just blown away at how free they are on stage and i there's a part of me that recognizes that freedom of everything it's just like there's no inhibitions it's just like you lose yourself to the sound and the music and the crowd and the energy Mm -hmm. and i i want that and i recognize that there is something in the music that if i can tap into that and really embody it that will definitely inform acting if i choose to sort of you know reconnect with that down the road right so, so does that answer your question? Yeah, no, that's, yeah. that's perfect. Yeah. That's, that's fantastic. Um, did you, you, you were a competitive swimmer, correct? Yeah. Um, yeah. what, you know, tell us how did you get into swimming and you know, what did that do for you personally? Oh man. Uh, such a huge part of my identity. I was raised sort of to play sports, a lot of, you know, uh, little league baseball and soccer and stuff like that. And, uh, running is just something that I, I hate. I just don't like running. I hate it <laughs> so much. It hurts you're, and you're, it's you sound awful. Like, it sounds like my wife's across the yeah. table. She hates it too. <laughs> Some people love it. I, I can't. I, I love it. I love. I can't yeah. run on like I have bad knees, so I can't run on like the sidewalk because it really hurts. But mm-hmm. like I can run on a treadmill for days. And do you run heel strike to toe, or do you run toe? There's oh. like the midfoot strike. There's like this whole new school of uh, running where you. I don't. I don't even know. If I've ever really thought about it. Oh, okay. Anyway, uh, to answer your question, I'm so good at getting off topic. And talking and talking and talking. <laughs> no uh, yeah, swimming was huge, man. And um, I was kind of forced into it and I hated it and resisted it for a long, long time. It was a, a really great program that I was put into as a kid. And it was very intense. It was like, you know, three, three and a half hours of training from mm-hmm. like 10 years old on a, a day. Right. Uh, with meets on the weekends. I think I had Sundays off. Usually. I can't remember. But it was a lot of, a lot of stuff. So, uh, yeah, uh, I didn't enjoy it until high school when I realized that... Um, girls were a thing and uh <laughs> and that like swimming actually they like are a thing <laughs> swimming actually gave you like a, a sort of a, a certain status and i was good at it i was i in high school i was a, a sort of a big fish in a small pond mm. when it came to swimming so I, it helped me sort of get a reputation and was that still in wayne or was this yeah yeah okay yeah that was in the in high school okay. and um and then i started to really enjoy it for like the social aspect of it and the team aspect because when i was a kid it was very individualistic i mean I, it's hard to conceive of a more individual sport than swimming you know right. you are you're training with people, but you are in your head 
writing sonnets, you know, doing the math for the set, you know, <laughs> staring at that line in the back of the pool and working out the argument you're going to have and somebody and be like, you're going to show them, you're thinking about what you're going to say and I'm going to put them in their plate, you know? Right. Are you mean mugging the other team? Yeah. And like, it's like, <laughs> yeah. did y'all have chants that y'all would do when you guys did the competitive swim meets? Like, uh, oh, like as a team? Yeah, as a team. Did y'all have any kind of oh, like, great, pump man. your up chants? Yeah. Well, my favorite was, uh, every time we'd like swim against a team that just like hated us or we hated them. Cause I, I usually, I'm not bragging saying this, but I just happened to sort of get into good programs. And so I was usually on a winning team. Right. And so people usually were like, they had a sort of deep hatred for us and by extension me on that team. And so they would come at us with this like, you know, vitriolic, is that the right word? This vitriol, you know, <laughs> energy, this like mean energy. And, and, uh, and then we, one of my favorite chances, we'd hold up a pair of socks and we go, Whose socks are these? <laughs> and then uh, someone would say, like Clarion, for instance. Yeah. They were like our arch rival in college. Right. Say, Clarion socks. I'm going to go, Clarion socks, Clarion socks, Clarion socks. <laughs> and they would just sit there and fume. And then we'd beat them. And they'd fume even more and send us hate mail. And it was, <laughs> it was sort of bittersweet. That's amazing. Yeah. that's that's That sounds so high school. <laughs> Like that was that, college, man. Oh, was yeah, college? We were we were supposedly mature young adults at this point. Yeah. Wrong. <laughs> yeah, right. So so did how did you know? We like to ask this question: What did being on a team and like swimming? How did that kind of influence you personally and like help make you who you are now? Oh man, uh, there, I think everybody should play a sport, a team sport at some point in their life. I, just the way I think everybody should work in the service industry for a year. I, I was just thinking this, yeah. that. during or after school, you need to go work in a hospital or work at a diner or a restaurant or just something, just do something that serves other people. So you can understand what it's like mm-hmm. to be shat on quite a bit uh, and do that work. That's often thankless, but it's just, you know, it instills something. So I think that, you know, sports, honestly, I think it's one of the most important things in the world. You know, people scoff at like how into football and soccer and whatnot some people get. But I think it's really important to have those high stakes without actually having high stakes. Right. You know, in life. And you learn so many valuable things. And uh, for me, the biggest lesson I learned was to believe in myself. I had a really I have a cool kind of a cool sidebar story. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was in college, I swam my freshman year at Westchester University, Pennsylvania. It's a really good D2 team. So I came from this big fish in a small pond thing where I was sort of king of the hill mm-hmm. to this program where we were D2, but we could have been D1. Right. We swam like against Penn State and Pitt and and sort of, you know, major D1 schools. So we were super competitive. So I went from being the, the best guy on the team and in the region to being the worst guy. <laughs> I was like probably one of the slowest guys and I was just miserable. And then something, you know, I, I kind of got more used to it and one of the best things you can do is just surround yourself with people who are better than you because everybody in that team was better than me. And my own mental frame was like, I am not the slowest guy in the team. Like this is not a reality that, that jives with Trevor's inner world. Right. And so eventually I worked my way up to being one of the faster guys in the team just to get back to that comfort level. And uh, I never thought I was like national team material, but um, one practice, uh, our coach, we had this big whiteboard. He would write the sets up there and he mm-hmm. wrote, the three people that were going to be on the 200 free relay, which was the last event of the national meet after the three day national meet in Ohio, three people. And then there was a fourth spot open, the anchor spot, which is the fastest spot. Right. And, uh, and he's, and then he put down like nine names and he was like, these nine people are in running for this anchor spot. He's like, it's totally up in the air who it's going to be, but I just want you guys to know this is what we're looking at. And I was one of the names on the list. And I remember looking at my coach and saying, 
I'm going to be in that anchor spot. And hearing myself go, Trevor, what the fuck are you saying? Like, there's no way you're going to make that anchor spot. But I said it and I was like, okay, well, it's out in the world now, whatever. Also part of this story, I was doing less training than ever because my coach was like, dude, you want to go do these musicals, do this theater stuff? That's cool. If you need to come in, work out for an hour and then leave. Mm -hmm. That's cool. We'll just give you the sprint sets. And but it was good because I was happier that way. Um, So I had that sort of going for me, this sort of like emotional enthusiasm right. and then for some reason i declared that i was going to be in that spot well long story short uh we're on the i make the national cut and we're on the bus to that third day and uh, he's reading off you know who's going to be that anchor spot for the night session and it was me in the anchor spot and uh i did a personal best nice. 20.7 i think and 50 yard free from a relay start but i was damn proud to be below 21 uh right. seconds and uh and it was pretty cool, man. We set a school record and we got third in the country uh, in our division, which was it was awesome. So I was that was a huge lesson for me. There's a whole story I have about goal rocks. Our coach used to give us these rocks and have us put times. It's a really cool story. I don't know if we have time for it now, but but that was that was probably what I learned the most was like it truly. This is going to sound so cliche, but truly, if you can declare it, if you can imagine it, it's possible. Yeah. And it may seem silly to be like, oh, this is just a swim meet in college that nobody remembers. Like, who cares? But to me, it was it was a turning point in my life. You know, it, it was like, oh, my God, thoughts do become things. This is right. that's how it starts as you say it out loud. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So you talked about kind of being a T-Rex in second grade <laughs> and you went on to do some other stuff. From um, that to T-Rex <laughs> to being the diva on <laughs> stage. Uh, what are, uh, you know, what are some other roles that you remember kind of growing up and maybe even after you moved here? Uh, that you kind of fondly remember being in that kind of your first big roles that you started out as dude uh arms and the man by george bernard shaw i played sergeant uh saranoff sergio sergio saranoff nice uh, if i remember that correctly and that was my favorite one of my favorite roles of all time because he's so blustery and absurdist and i had a blast doing that nice and it was after that role that my theater teacher in high school turned to me and said you can do this she says i don't she was a hard ass nobody liked her and she said, she said, you can do this. She said, I don't say that to many people. She said, but if you want to do this, Trevor, you can go do this right. professionally. Like you have what it takes. And I remember that was like, oh, really? Like this person that nobody liked and thought was kind of a biatch was saying like voting, you know, instilling confidence. Right. Anyway. So that was a, that was an awesome role. And then, and then from there, uh, I would say my other favorite thing was um, doing the war cycle with right. the Los Angeles theater ensemble. That's, that's where you met AJ, right? was during the war cycle. Uh, I met him before that, but, oh, okay. but yeah, that's, that's where we really got to know each other working okay. together in that show yeah. nice. or all those shows. Yeah. Let's talk about moving to Los Angeles. Okay. Yeah. That's a big move. Everybody calm down. Audience, please silence. No one's ever, no one's ever done it. No one's ever done it before. We we were the first. What was? When did you decide? Why did you decide? What pushed you to decide to move to Los Angeles? Yeah, man i I didn't want to. uh, I didn't want to not do something right out of school. Like I, I had this degree in theater. And I didn't want to end up working in a hardware store or selling insurance like I saw a lot of my friends do. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, and I, I don't judge any of that. Everybody's path is their path and it's perfect and everything. But I just knew like if I got a job doing something in my hometown that lasted longer than the summer after I graduated that I would never leave. And so um, I was like, I got to do this now. And fortunately, I'm so blessed with this. Uh I had a, I think she was my godmother. She was really old. I never quite knew her, but she passed away and left me 10 grand. Oh, wow. All the, all the, uh, 
godchildren she left ten thousand dollars to and so i was like damn there's my seed money man <laughs> so i used that to uh put a down payment on the car and finance my trip in first six months seven eight months out here in la wow that's awesome yeah it's, so yeah. it's so nice that you had that kind of like that i mean obviously out of something very sad you were blessed to get that to be able to kind of live your dreams which hopefully that's something yeah. she would want you know, yeah, I, I named my car after her. Yeah, <laughs> my car's named go. Blanche, and it, it it did feel like one of those things where, like, I'm sure everybody has these experiences, whether you're an atheist or what. But there's it was that piece of it was like, this is too perfect. Mm-hmm. Like the timing on this is too ideal. There's got to be something larger at work here. And, right. and to me, I've had several of those moments in my life, and that was one of them where I was like, okay, here we like now is the time. I have. All the conditions are perfect. So here we go. You know, one of the things I really kind of just from talking to you uh, over the past few months and kind of getting to know you, one of the things I really appreciate about you as a person is I feel like you're very aware and you're very uh, open to um, moments of realization. And that's something I really appreciate about you. I just want to throw that out there because there's a lot of people that get so focused on what's going on in their lives in that moment that they're not open to like new thought and new uh, possibilities that huh. may come up out of these moments. And so that's something I just want to commend you on as a person having, because that's in this line of work is really important, but I think just as a human being, it's important to be open to those things in the world and letting knowledge come into you and accepting it when it happens. So just want to throw that out there. I think that's, that's something that's really, that's really cool about you. Go people out there. He's a really cool guy. <laughs> well, I hope it doesn't. I, I think <laughs> I go too far in that direction where my whole life is a string of epiphanies. That <laughs> people are like, Trevor, your mind is so easily blown. I'm like, I know everything's amazing. <laughs> I've learned to temper it and just have them privately. But, but yeah, that's kind of the way, the way it is. Uh, yeah. That's but a, thank you for those kind words. No I problem. Appreciate that. Um, now, did you move here by yourself or with someone else? With someone else? Yeah. Solo. So yeah, what yeah. would, you know, what was that like emotionally for you? And, and, and were, was it scary? Was it exciting? Was it um, uh, uh, just another day? Like, how was it for you to move here by yourself? Uh, yeah, it was scary and exciting. Yeah. More, I was more excited, though. I, I really felt like at that point in my life, I um, I had a sort of confidence that uh, I wish I still had, uh, <laughs> which was I just I knew I wasn't going to fail because I wasn't going to give up. Like right. Failure to me doesn't like I don't quite understand what that means, because mm-hmm. failure means you just sort of what change your mind and something else becomes important and you stop pursuing something that was a dead end to start with. So I, 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 as I get older, I'm like, I don't, there are certain things I stop understanding, which is weird, but uh, yeah, so I, it was a little scary, but more exciting. And I just sort of, I figured it out, man. I had a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend who's, I somehow got in touch with and I slept on her couch for like 10 days. And I finally found a place. And again, I had the money. So I wasn't like, super stressed or in a desperate place. Right. So I had, you know, several months of wiggle room, which was, which was nice. And nice. and I just sort of looked around for jobs and I fell in at Apple and, and start to get to know people. And well, yeah. I was about to ask what was kind of your first job uh, moving. Yeah. Through. I mean, God, I did a bunch of random shit on Craigslist. <laughs> like I, oh, man, I have so many weird Craigslist stories. Oh, uh, please share one. Oh, please share a random uh, okay. You share one and I'll share one. I, uh, well, so I was online and I was just like, all right, how do I break into the entertainment industry? How do I get to know people? And mm-hmm. I found some posts by the, I don't I really know the same post that I'm going to talk about. Cause I think that would be, Oh hilarious. God. All right. We'll see who's <laughs> his worst here. So, uh, thank God. I, well, okay. This just goes to show how naive I was. So 
nobody oh my god this nobody may be the same craigslist. post <laughs> <laughs> okay so i was like looking on craigslist and i was like looking for audition opportunities i was looking for casting representation no, whatever quick, i could how find how long ago was this when did you when did you move oh, here oh uh, i moved here in 2003 okay so so, so about 8 15 years ago yeah 15 yeah. years it'll be 15 years in november wow. yeah that just blows my mind. Like, I can't imagine Dude. being able to say I've been here for 15 years. Yeah, I've, I've been here for five years, and I can barely imagine that. So <laughs> It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> you got a family now and everything. It's I coming. know. Oh, tell uh, me about it. <laughs> <laughs> so I was on Craigslist, and I came across this post of this woman who was like, uh, I have a, I don't remember exactly what it was, but she said, I've got this sort of Rolodex of, of casting people and, and assistants and directors and agents and whatnot. I'm willing to open my Rolodex to you. And, and, you know, hook you up and introduce you if you are an all-American male in his 20s, white, well-built, with really nice feet. <sighs> and I was like, my feet are beautiful. <laughs> it's so, foot modeling, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, weird side story. I actually do have beautiful feet. <laughs> that is one thing I'm not shy about talking about. <clears throat> you should see them. The arches are gorgeous. So... <laughs> I'm not even joking, guys. Um, so I, I, I replied and she's like, include a headshot, a body shot and a shot of your feet. And I was like, hey, what do you got to lose? So uh, I did. I mean, I people do call you hot foot Trevor, right? That's what. That's <laughs> yes, I'm nickname. so glad that's catching on. Finally, after 15 years. <laughs> you, I mean, you started it several years ago. To, to I, try, I tried for <laughs> no, no, Call me time. hot foot. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I sent these photos to her and she was like, yeah, you fit the bill. And then I, t- I, in my uh, response, I was like, yeah, you know, I also have, uh, you know, a connection with such and such and such and such. So I just want to be sure this is kind of going to be worth our time. Oh, yeah. So she said, basically, um, f- you know, I'll open my Rolodex to you if you will let me just basically massage your feet for an hour. And I was like, sounds harmless enough. Uh, it's a female. <laughs> you know, I, um, this can't be terrible. And so I was like open to it, right? Again, right. I, I had no fucking no, this idea. This is amazing. This is amazing. Uh, so, so, and she basically was like, yeah, photos with the bill. Like, and I was like, cool, I have these other contacts. And then she wrote me back. She's like, actually, you know what? It seems like your contacts are better than the ones I'm going to be able to give you. So I don't want you to waste your time. So never mind. I'm like, okay. So wow. I, I didn't go through with it, but that was one of several <laughs> shitty, crazy, stupid, stupid Craigslist <laughs> things that I got involved with. Well, uh, when I moved here with uh, then fiance, eventually wife, um, I saw a Craigslist. I was perusing Craigslist for acting jobs and stuff like that, and I found this job that was like, uh, "You need a casting assistant for my product for my for auditions, uh, based an audition assistant. Uh, please send me your headshot and some information about you, and if you seem to fit the bill." I'll call you um, must be willing to work with, you know, work with other people, especially females. And uh, that was pretty much all the ad said. And I was like, okay, okay. Okay. And so I sent my information in, sent my headshot and I get a call within like 30 minutes and the voice, I should have known something was weird just by the voice alone on the phone because it was like the atypical CD sounding. Hi. Hello? <laughs> like, oh, boy. And I'm like, right when I answer the phone, it's like, is this Daniel? I'm like, all right, something's up. <laughs> like, this is already like, I already get a vibe. This is not. Spidey sense going This off. is not yeah. going to end well. And so I'm, we're staying in an, Air, like an Airbnb because we didn't have a place when we moved here initially. So we're staying at this Airbnb. So I'm walking around this pool while I'm talking to this person. And like, I'm like, yeah, so you need some help with casting. And she goes, well, let me just be up front. Or he, he goes, let me be up front. Um, I do porn. I produce porn. I'm a pornog- uh, pornography producer. 
and um, I need someone to help with casting uh, for with talent and stuff like that. And I go, you mean like paperwork? (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, um, you'd be working with the talent. Um, I need to see what they can do. You mean like reading lines with them? No, no. Um, you would be engaging in activities with them. Uh, you wouldn't show your face. And I'm like, okay. You're like the. Ooh. You'd be like the <laughs> coffee boy of stand-ins for pretty porn? much. I would be. I would be. I would be the uh, the test subject. I would be the table in a scene where they need a table oh for an audition. God. And I was like, uh, thank you so much. That I don't think I'm right for that. Uh, I appreciate you calling thank you wow. so much um and i'll talk to you later i told my wife and she, i go I, I go what what do you feel about me being like a, a you know working with a, uh, a pornography company as a, a casting assistant she's like you'd just be doing paperwork right <laughs> <laughs> and I go, funny you should Not ex- i was like maybe in a scene right. <laughs> paperwork right. like i'm the copy boy trying to fix the copier and she goes absolutely not <laughs> And I go, yeah, okay, wow. we're on the same page. Your story beats mine. <laughs> hey, your, but yours was like the weird side of Craigslist. Like mine's yeah. like, I mean, I can see that happening. Like it wasn't in a weird thing. I mean, it's, a, it's an actual industry and I'm sure they have to. I mean, it's a different audition process, I'm sure. Um, but yours is on that weird side of Craigslist. Like those people like, I just want to smell your feet for an hour. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Uh, I'm good. I'm good. Um, so when you moved here, what was like the first thing you did to kind of set yourself up and and really get going when you moved here. Well, thank God I had, again, thank God I had that seed money right. uh, to sort of help me get started. Cause, uh, if I didn't, my first, uh, priority would have been to find income of some kind, but, but yeah, uh, the first thing I did was, was find a place to live, um, sign a lease, uh, and then find the job. Cause I knew I wanted to have that security. I'm, I'm the kind of guy where it's like, if my financial life isn't handled in some way, shape or form, like nothing's working. Like that's all I could think about. I'm super stressed. And so for me and my advice to anybody moving here, would always be get your living situation on lock and get your income on lock. Like, I don't care what you're doing. Just make sure you're not going to be worrying about how you're going to pay rent and eat. Right. Because if you, if you're worrying about that, man, nothing else is going to be firing on all cylinders the way it needs to. to No, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Those are the first things I did. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, It's important. Like find, I think we hear a lot from people who have been here for a while. Like they're one of their biggest suggestions is financial responsibility. So important. like don't go out all the time. Don't feel like you have to go to every midnight showing of a movie at the most expensive theater possible. Like save your money because yeah. this place is expensive. And and train yourself to live really frugally. Like learn how to live on like $40 a week for food. Like mm-hmm. learn how to do. It. It's actually not that hard. I do it still right now. I spend right. about 35 38 bucks on on groceries every week. Wow. Which does it sounds like ridiculous, right? right? But like it took me 15 years to learn how to do it, but, but I'm not stressed about, I have so much extra money now because mm-hmm. I'm not spending an extra $400 on useless shit that I don't need. Right. Well, I'm going to throw out this. There's a blog that my wife has started really watching a lot of their videos and, and stuff on YouTube and, and reading the articles and it's called fun, cheaper, free um, is the name of the blog. And it's all about financial responsibility yeah. and they give a lot of tips on saving money and uh, financial goals and being frugal and having planning your food and all that stuff. Yeah. And so for anybody thinking that needs help with that, I would highly suggest, you know, you don't have to do exactly what they say. Definitely, you know, you can alter it and form fit it to your life and what works for you, you know, mentally and emotionally. Like one of the things they talk about, and I've told Michael about this, they talk about like you need to have at least like seven bank accounts. 
we are not we're Whoa. not we're not gonna have seven bank because they like you need to split everything up oh like the banks. envelope system like, basically yeah, yeah, but yeah. with different accounts like different accounts that's, and that's and much. i told and I, I me and my wife are like no we're not opening seven bank accounts so like you know it's kind of take it t- take their advice and make it fit your life and who you are if you can handle seven bank accounts then go right ahead but if you can't then form fit it to fit you and who, what you can do mentally yeah. but it's been really good we, right now like we have a budget of like i think thirty dollars every week for groceries and we actually another thing they suggest is after a while doing like a uh what they call shelf shelf timber where you don't buy really any groceries you just eat what's in your shelf Mm. and in your pantry and you find food that fits what you already have and clean out your shelf yeah and 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 stuff like that so you don't waste that food yeah um so that's for anybody moving here that needs help with that that's definitely a blog to look at there there really is no downside to to once once you learn how to live frugally and eat Mm -hmm. frugally there's no downside to it except you're you may for a time feel like you're missing out on like all these you know social things but like at the end of the month when you have an extra 300 dollars in your bank account yeah fun cheap cheap dot com dot com yeah badass um but one of the things I, you know, I, one of the things, you know, I think the three really good pillars to think about when financial responsibility and setting yourself for moving here is goal setting, planning, and uh, communication. So if you're in a, if you're with somebody, whether it's a roommate or a relationship, you've got to communicate financial issues and financial goals. Like that is the most, like I've had issues in the past with that. And it's something I've had to learn in the last few years. Can you give an example? Like. Um, just like, you know, not being comfortable talking about money and not really wanting to talk about if you have an issue with money or your, your person, like if you're not married and so you have separate accounts, like if you have debt issues mm. and not talking about that with your partner and stuff like that, like that's something that you need to talk about, especially if it's someone you're looking at a long term, yeah. you know, ride with in this world. And then on top of that, you know, planning, planning your food for the week. That way when you, you only have to go to the grocery store once, you don't have to go three times a week because you're spend more you know, statistically you spend more money if you go multiple times to the grocery yeah. store and you know planning your meals that way you, again you plan what you have so you can use what you have and buy less right. um and then goal setting in the sense of like what do you need like what do you want and what do you need in the future like right now my wife and i are we need a new car probably in the next year or so because one of our cars is definitely on its last drive and we also know we want to move to a bigger place so We've budgeted ourselves where every month we're setting aside money and we have a two, we have an account that's a car account. And we also know like housing wise, what we want to save for a down payment. So it's that kind of stuff, long-term goal setting and going, giving yourself a year. How can I reach this in a year? How much do we need? And yeah. I think, especially again, having a partner, you sit down and you talk about these things. And one of the things fun, cheaper free talks about is asking your partner what goals they have. And so it's not just about if you're running the household going, you know, Trevor, I want this. Like, I want to have a you know a new place to live in a year. Uh, what is there a goal that you want financially in the year? Do you want to be you know? Is it a trip or you know what is it? Yeah. And that way you can communicate that yeah. with each other and set a plan. And I think those three things really help financially in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um. Again, eating frugally is really important. Anyways, no, that's awesome. Yeah, no, the, the money <laughs> thing is so tied to self worth. It's such an intimate thing to talk about with people. It's huge. and it's hard. It's yeah. really hard, especially if you're not making as much as the other person. And you know, I'm like right now, I don't have a job. I'm on unemployment. I'm looking for work. I try to do freelance stuff where I can. And there's a part of me that is like it's hard. Like I feel like I'm not contributing yeah. to my family like I should be. 
and the, it does add a little stress sometimes. And so it's hard to talk about that sometimes, Yeah, you know, um, even with my wife who's super supportive and I totally understands, but personally you put, you kind of put a lot of pressure on yourself, you know? Yeah. Well, so. thank, hey, thanks for sharing it, man. No, I'm bro. a big believer in that vulnerability is leadership, right? You know, in the world. What would you say the differences between LA and Philly are? You mind if Ooh. I say Philly? I'm not from there. Can I no, say Philly? Uh, I love okay. hearing that <laughs> word, uh, man. I mean, God, what aren't the differences? Um, the, yeah, it's very different um, for a lot of reasons. Uh, but um, it's interesting. I've been gone so long now that when I go back, I, I barely recognize the place. Really? Um, but I do know that since I've been gone, the foodie scene has like blown up in Philly. Like there's just so many cool little restaurants really? and like slow food movement things. And like an invitation will go out to a select few people or or to a small group. And it'll be like, hey, secret dinner uh, at this location tomorrow night, eight o'clock. And you show up and maybe you bring a little bit of money, maybe you don't. And it's like some high-end chef or somebody who's like an aspiring chef. Oh, I think I know what you're talking about. And they'll just like serve you like a five-course meal. And it's like there's a lot of those from what I understand in Mm -hmm. Philly now. And I'm discovering someone that are in L.A. And yeah, I mean, so that's, I guess, a similarity. But as far as differences, there's too many to count, man. It's, It's a very different place in terms of people, in terms of weather, in terms of culture, in terms of layout, infrastructure. I mean, right. It, they couldn't be more alien to each other. When I was there, there was a vibrant underground theater scene um, and everybody knew everybody. But it was a lot of like uh, fringe festival type productions that were just everywhere. You couldn't walk around a corner and, and not bump into a flyer, <laughs> for one of those, which was really cool. But right. there's also a lot of sort of subpar uh, productions. But mm-hmm. it was fun. You know, it's it's fun for the people who are doing it at least. Right. Uh, and then uh, I remember auditioning for they had these like regional I don't know, there was a the- some sort of Philly regional theater alliance kind of thing. And I auditioned for one of those with some shitty monologue and I sucked <laughs> and I didn't get to hear anything. And, right. And then I moved to L.A. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you have a goal in mind when you moved here? Like, I want to, you know, did you have like in, in a year I want to be here and I want to do this. This is kind of the thing I want to do. I want to be a character actor. I want to, you know, what, what were your goals coming into mm-hmm. L.A.? I wish I had been more structured or organized about it. <laughs> I, I wish I had had clarity for the past 15 years of my life. Uh, I came, I just knew that I wanted to work in film and television. I would love to have work in like those like sci-fi type movies. Right. Uh, and I always just saw myself as like the backup guy, like mm-hmm. the the actor that you look at and you go like, oh, that guy, he's great. I remember him from such and such. What's his name? I can't remember. Like right. that's sort of what I wanted to be. You was, want to be that guy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that guy. That I'm guy from that, that thing guy. who was always great. And it's so cool that he's on this show now. Like yeah. that's, that's who I wanted to be. Oh, that guy's in this? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I didn't want to be a name. I just wanted to be a face. I, I, I was the same yeah. way when I was looking at acting as profession. I was the same way. I was like, I don't need to be Tom Cruise. I would be, I'm, I would be okay if somebody like, were you in that movie? Yeah. You were that guy, weren't you? No, like, yeah, I'm curious. Like, why Why did you want that and not to be the name? Because I feel like you have more fun and there's more availability of roles that way. Huh. And you get to do so many different things and play so many different parts. Whereas, you know, if you're the leading man, you're usually the same kind of type of leading man for the most part. Like, let's be honest, Tom Cruise kind of plays Tom Cruise. Yeah. In all his movies. Yeah, he's a movie star, not a, yeah. not a film Nicolas star. Cage plays yeah. the same person in all his films. You know, Liam Neeson nowadays kind of plays the same part. And so yeah. it's kind of like, yeah, they're the lead of movies, and that's great. But, like, if you're the character, you get to play kind of a different part of that movie. And you get to learn probably different skills through that as well. Because you're playing the FBI agent, and then you're playing the construction worker, and then you're playing... 
the accountant and like, you know, you get to just play more, I think, yeah. and have a little more freedom. And also, again, you're not the lead. And so you also think I get a little more freedom in your character also probably on the outskirts. You're not the person that is everybody's relying on to make this film work. Right. Yeah. You know? So yeah. The, the fault of the film doesn't come down on you. Yeah. And this, but sometimes the success can come on you as well, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a nice fit. It's like glove. Yeah. You know? Yeah. How about, how about you? What was it about that, that guy that you kind of. Same thing. I think there's more opportunity to play more textured, tragic characters mm-hmm. in that, in that sort of realm of, of um, the hierarchy as it were of, of casting. Right. So um, yeah, that's, that's yeah. That's, that's what sort of drew me to it. I think. Right. Hearing you talk about it actually helped me sort of, <laughs> clarify my reasons so yeah. yeah great just steal that trevor so uh we'll come back here in a little bit we'll take a little bit of a break uh trevor we kind of talked about your background and when we come back we'll kind of talk about the business of working in la and inside acting and kind of how you got your uh the stuff you did to build your brand as an actor in la uh if you're if you're up for it i yeah you I'll have try. no choice I, <laughs> <laughs> you're stuck here until we're done uh so yeah uh keep with us guys thank you so much for listening and come back next week for uh, more with uh mr trevor algott and welcome back i i really hope you enjoyed this first part of trevor's interview he had so many great things to talk about and even more to come I just want to talk about a few things that were kind of brought up in this episode. Uh, first is about, you know, visualizing success. You know, Trevor talked about on the swim team, visualizing and telling his coach, I'm going to be your anchor and, and succeeding in it. And just the power of self-motivation and confidence, you know, telling yourself, I can do this. I can see this. I can make this is so important just for yourself to benefit your happiness and your positivity. You truly have to be able to say those things out loud because as dumb as it sounds, you hear it and it basically reassures yourself. You know, you need to say it out loud to yourself, not just internally, because it just builds you up personally. So always visualize your success. Always look at what you want and be able to see it. And if you can't see it, maybe ask, why can't you see it? What is it about that success that's blocking you? Uh, so that's just something I really like. The biggest thing I think in this episode that you will we'll continue talking about next week is transition. You know we talk a little bit about inside acting next week and, and I, if, I don't know if you've heard, but Trevor, Trevor did announce this week that he's leaving inside acting for a little bit or, you know, for a while, if not, you know, for good. And it's really interesting to know when something's over, uh, both Trevor and AJ have shared with me that, and they shared on the podcast that there's a few times that they've thought about, you know, leaving the show or ending the show. And usually when that happens, someone will come up to them and tell them how much they appreciate the show or how much they love it. And that's great. You know, that's awesome that people do that. And then, you know, and so they continue doing it. And that's both of them. It's happened for both of them. And so sometimes you have to know when you're, when something's over, you have to know when it's time to move on to something else in your life, as much as you may love it, you need to know when you're not feeling it anymore. You know, Trevor talked about in the show about lying to himself and he needed to be honest with himself. And that's important. You have to be aware of where you are in your life and what's working and what's not. And that could be your career. That could be your hobbies. That could be your friends. You know, you have to really be aware of where your life is at. Um, it's important for your your happiness and your continuation down this journey of life and and maybe creativity 
to move on to something else. And, and don't be afraid of being in a transitional period. You know, Trevor told me when we were talking about getting together that he didn't know if it'd be really inspirational because he's in a transitional period, which is funny because that's what this show is about. It's about those struggles. It's about trying to figure out what you want to do and where you are and who you are. And I, I, I have even said it on the show. I applaud him for being honest and open about it and that he doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't know where he's going to end up. And that's okay. It's okay. Right now I'm in the same place. I'm kind of in a transitional period though. I have the podcast and I know I want to write career wise until I, unless this takes off or my writing takes off, I'm in a transitional period and I've had to come to terms with that and be okay with patiently waiting for that right thing to come along. That's just for me. That's just the best thing for me. So it's okay. It's okay to wait. It's okay to be patient. It's okay to not know where you're going. Don't be afraid of transition. It's important to embrace it and look forward to what's next. Don't think of it as the end of something. Think of it as the beginning of something new and maybe better. You never know. Everything shapes us. So what's going to shape you next? What's going to shape me next? We don't know, but it's something to look forward to, and I'm really excited about it. Um, it's It's funny when I... Opened up, we usually, I usually take like an old document uh, and then like make a copy because we use a lot of the same, you know, outline for a lot of our, our stuff, especially intros and outros. We kind of have a basic outline of how we want them to go. And so usually I'll, I'll open an old outline, uh, copy it, and then just change the name and the information in it. And the one I opened for this uh, on it had my conversation or my my topic about the Sutherland shooting, school shooting, a while back, um, around the time when we had uh, A.J. Jones on the show. And I intended to do this before I saw that, but this just kind of made it sadder that I was just changing the name of the place. <sighs> Sorry. From, Su from Sutherland to Parkland. That's all I had to change. School shooting was already there in the document. These kids, first of all, the tragedy at Stoneman Douglas High School is unimaginable. I, I cannot imagine the, the, the pain that families are going through, that school is going through, and that community is going through. I don't think anybody can unless you've been in that situation. The people of Newtown can the people of Columbine, Sutherland Springs, and the list goes on and on. Virginia Tech, all the way back to UT back in 1970 when the clock tower sniper uh, situation happened. We live in a broken world sometimes, and I think we live in a broken system. As you know, we don't like to get political on this show. We try to stay very middle ground for the most part, but sometimes you cannot be quiet. I understand there's a Second Amendment that says we have the right to bear arms. And I, and I don't want to take that away from anyone. I'm not trying to take people's guns away from them. But something has to be done. I was able to open a document from months ago, and all I had to do was change the name of the place. I didn't have to change school shooting from something else. It was already there. That's a problem. I am so proud of these kids who are standing up and screaming for change, who do not want to be 
in a, this sense of fear anymore. And I hope, I hope people are listening. I have already seen people who are doubting them, saying they're just kids. They're just high schoolers. They don't know what they're talking about. They haven't lived life. They're 18. They're 17. They've lived a little bit of life. And you don't know each of their lives. You don't know what they've been through. You don't know what their families are like. You know nothing about them. So to deny them their right to speak out and have their opinion and completely shove it and brush it off is wrong. They want better from our politicians. They want better from our government. And we should all want that. No group or company or business should be able to control what's right and what should be done in our country to protect us. You can say what you want. We need to arm teachers. We need better security. We need this. We need that. And that's great. Let's do something. But we all have to agree that there are just some things that civilians do not need, like weapons that hold 100 bullets at one time. Weapons that can hold 40 bullets at one time and shoot them pretty darn quickly. I am sorry. This is, I am a three-year-old and I can't imagine having to hear that there's a shooting at his school. I don't want to ever imagine that. I don't want that to ever happen to me. My wife and I have had long talks about this of what we do if certain things did happen. And, you know, we don't know. So to those in Parkland, Florida, our thoughts and love and, and support and prayers are, are with you. And those in the March for Our Lives movement, we are with you. We stand with you. I'm so proud of these kids using their voices and say what you want about them, but it's amazing. And the bravery to walk out of school despite threats of suspension and expulsion and punishment, that is what this country is about. That is what makes change. That's what's always made change. People overcoming their fear of punishment and pain to do what's right. They are on the right side of history. Again, our thoughts and prayers with the families. I don't know if there's one right answer. And I know there's a lot of topics and, and things that need to be looked at around this. Mental health, gun laws, safety of schools. But we have to be honest with each other and ourselves. I was able to open a Word document from months ago, and all I had to do was change the name of the school. Thank you. Just wanted to share that. Just remember that love is love, and to stay strong. We're better together. Uh, I saw Black Panther this last week, and other than just being an amazing movie with so many great themes and, and messages, one of the lines in it was, wise men build bridges, foolish men build barriers. We all have to stand together to make change and make this world better. Please remember to email us any questions you have for us or your thoughts on what's going on in the world or acting or entertainment, whatever, to hollywoodhustlepodcast at gmail.com. I know some people don't want actors and entertainers to share their opinions about what's going on in the world because we're just actors and podcasters, but we're people. And if you have thoughts, please share them. We want to hear them on either side. Next week, I continue my conversation with Trevor where we discuss how important morning, a morning routine is, how it can change your life. We discuss acting and how Trevor has grown, the advice Trevor got about teaching and what it has done for him. And of course, we discuss inside acting and what makes that show so great and how AJ and Trevor work together. So please 
Come back next week, same time, same place, same day for Act Two with Trevor Algott. Thank you so much, guys. We love you. Stay safe, stay strong, stay hopeful. Keep smiling, keep hustling. You know what? That's really good. Let's just keep up the hustle. And I, and I, I have complete faith, and I'm sure Michael does, that you will find where you're, you belong and what you're meant to do to, to add. Because you seem like a guy that wants to impact some people, somebody and someone in some form or fashion. And so I think you'll find that space, whatever that is, um, eventually. I hope so. This episode was hosted by Daniel Tuttle and produced with Michael Luther. Gordon Meacham is our associate producer and Mike Tobias edited our website. For more information, visit our website, www.hollywoodhustlepodcast.com. Thank <laughs> you.